0: All right, today we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me uh, pray for the message, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, use your word to change us. Use your word to minister to us, to meet us right where we are, to comfort us, Lord. Do what only your word can do. Change hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, uh, so this morning I want to talk to us about trials. About trials. Trials are adversities, afflictions, persecutions, difficulties that are allowed by God and even at times sent by God in order to test or prove our character. Allowed by God and even sent by God in order to test or prove our character. And in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, James is going to tell us four particular things about trials. But before we get to that, um, he's going to give us the introduction and his greeting. But there's going to be four particular things that stand out in this passage, and he's going to tell us how we should respond to the trials in our lives. So let's start in verse one, read the passage, and then we'll go back through it. So, in verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations' greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be matured incomplete, not lacking anything. So, the message of James in this passage, the subject is trials. And before he gets into trials, he starts this letter off with a greeting. Now, in this greeting, he tells us three things in in verse 1. He tells us who he is, what he is, and who he's writing to, okay? Who he is, what he is, and who he's writing to. Uh, Look in verse 1 with me. He starts off by saying James. Okay, so that's who he is. He's identifying himself as the author of this letter. He's the one that's writing it. Now, he, he tells us what he is. He says, a servant, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's what James is. He's a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So, that's who the letter is going to. It's going to the 12 tribes scattered. Now, this phrase, 12 tribes, uh, it could either be referring to Jewish Christians only or just Christians in general. Uh, We're not too sure on it, but Either way, this letter is still applicable for every believer as it speaks on practical Christian living, okay? So, it's applicable to each and every one of us because of the content, content of it is about practical Christian uh, living. Now, a little bit about James uh, before we get into the trials. James is the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of Jude. Remember Jude? He wrote the little letter uh, right before Revelation, um, He's uh, James' four-brother. In Matthew 13, when Jesus had returned home and began to speak in the synagogue, it says, to, it says uh, they said of Jesus in Matthew 13, 55, they said, is this not the carpenter's sons? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. And Jude, in his epistle, in regards to being James' brother, he says in uh, Jude 1.1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So James, though, the one who's writing the letter that we're looking at this morning, uh, it's the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of, of Jude. Now, it's interesting that even though James is Jesus' half-brother, grew up in the same household, same biological mother, spent his life around him, he did not put his identity in that. In writing this letter, he didn't pull the family card. He didn't pull James, brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, known him all my life. His identity wasn't in that. He did not have his identity in being the sibling of Jesus, but in being the servant of Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To James, Jesus was more than a brother. He was his Lord. He was his master. He was his God. And he puts who he is, who he really is, it passes the biological. It goes straight to the spiritual. I'm his servant. This is my identity. This is the title I sit under, a servant of Jesus Christ. And so often as Christians, we can be tempted to put our identity in other things and forget that we're servants, servants of Jesus. And this is something we have to be careful of because a lot of times we want to be known by what we do, who we know, or what we have. And we can easily, all of us, can fall into this trap. And what it is, it's misplaced identity. Identity. It's identity misaligned. And we have to be careful of this little trap that constantly sits before us in our interaction with others. We're servants of Jesus. We serve the one who died for us. We follow the one who paid it off so that we can have life. That's our identity. And Jesus... And speaking to his disciples, talking about identity. In John 12, 26, it says, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my who, Serving. my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4:1, he says, This is how one should regard us. This is how we should be known. This is how people should regard us as what? Servants of Christ. We need to be settled and resolved in having the identity of being servants of Jesus Christ the rest of our lives. And that's the word that James uses in our passage when he speaks on being a servant. Uh, It's pronounced doulos but it means to be in permanent servitude to another by being completely surrendered to his or her master. D. Edmund Hybert wrote in regards to this word doulos, he says, Christianity found the term doulos appropriate in setting forth the essence of the believer's true relationship to God. It aptly set forth the Christian consciousness that, listen to this, Believers are totally dependent upon God, belong wholly to him, and are convinced that his will is the only true rule for all of his people. That's who we are. That's our identity. Servitude, following, and submitting to Jesus Christ as his servants. You know, Jesus is the only master that sets his servants free. He's the only master that sets his servants free. All other masters get and keep their slaves in bondage. Think about drugs, a horrible master, alcohol, pornography, gambling, the pursuit of money the pursuit of possessions, the pursuit of recognition and financial status, these masters enslave people. And yet, Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us what? Free. And right to the Corinthians, he says, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's Freedom. Jesus said, and speaking to the disciples in John 8, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. All about freedom. He died so that we can experience freedom in him. We were slaves to sin, We were in bondage to sin. We were held captive to sin. So Jesus died so that his servants can be freed from sin. The only master that sets his servants free. And we would never experience the true freedom of God until we surrender to God. Listen to what Peter says in this epistle, 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as what kind of people? Free. Free people. Now watch the connection. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's what? Slaves. Slaves. You see how he connected slaves to freedom? That's because we cannot experience God's freedom unless we're God's servants. Real freedom cannot be experienced outside of servitude to God. And there's freedom and liberty for every surrendered servant of Jesus Christ because he sets his servants free. And this is what James tells us he he is in verse one. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our identity. And the quicker we get there, the quicker we'll experience the freedom that he has for us. Now in verse two, he's gonna switch gears a little bit and begin to talk about his main point, his subject, which is trials. So uh, look down at verse 2 with me. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. So the first thing James tells us about trials is they're going to happen. Trials are guaranteed. And the word he used in verse 2 for uh, uh, whenever is, Better translated, um, all the major uh, other uh, translation translates this word when. So it could be better read, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, not if, but when you face trials of many kinds. And what James is telling us as believers, as those who are his servants and those who live for him, we will go through trials. Trials are going to happen to us. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John sixteen uh, thirty three. He says, "In this world, you might have tribulation." Yeah. He didn't say that, did he? In this world, you will have tribulation. Paul, in writing to Timothy in two Timothy three twelve, he says, "All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what's the next word? Yeah. Will suffer persecution." In Acts fourteen twenty two. Paul says, "We must." Through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Philippians, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe him, but also to what? Suffer for his name's sake. Okay? And listen how poignant Peter is in his epistle in First Peter two. He says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. And verse 21, he says. For to this you were what? You were called, all right? We're called to suffer. And the reason why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So we will go through trials. Trials are going to happen. It's just the normal part of the Christian life. They are guaranteed. But here's the thing. Even though trials are guaranteed, even though we will go through trials, we never go through trials alone, okay? Trials are guaranteed, but the presence of the Lord is guaranteed also, constantly. We have the constant presence of the Lord with us always. We don't ever go through trials or this life alone, Jesus is always with us, and he never stops being with us. He tells us in um, Matthew 28, 20, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The presence of Jesus is a constant in our lives. He doesn't stop being with us. The writer of Hebrews, in quoting God, said, for he himself has said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. And David, speaking to the Lord in Psalm 139, 7 through 10, he says to God, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, what's the next three words? You are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's always with us. His presence is a permanent in our lives. So as we go through trials, as we go through tough times, as we go through difficulties, it's important to remember that we pay attention to his presence and not ignore him. Because so often when we go through pain, when it gets hard, We tend to isolate ourselves, thinking that it's just us. All right, we forget about the presence of the Lord. Trials do not have to hinder fellowship with the Lord. Our intimacy with Jesus doesn't have to be conditional. We can still enjoy the presence of Jesus even in trials. We see this principle with the three Hebrew boys in Daniel, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just in a fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar said, did we not throw three in? But behold, there's a fourth, as in the appearance of the Son of Man. Even though they they were in a fiery trial, they still had intimate fellowship with Jesus. Trials don't have to prevent intimacy. The Lord, he's always with us, even in trials, Trials do not dictate his presence. I part, continue fellowship with him. Continue to have this intimate union with him. Don't ignore him. Take those thoughts captive that takes our mind off of him and just enjoy being in his presence. That's the principle we see with uh, Shadrach. right Meshach, and Abednego, join fellowship even in the furnace. But not only is he constantly with us in our trials, but he's with us to comfort us in our trials. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So turn with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Second Corinthians, chapter one, three through five. Paul talking about the comfort we receive in trials. He says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all, of all what, of all comfort." Notice what he does. Who comforts us in all of our troubles? And the reason why? So that we can also comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Uh, just quick note, and we've seen this, we experienced this, we've been a part of it, where someone, especially in the body, goes through something difficult, and the body of Christ comes around, provides, prays, help, comforts, with something we experience from the Lord. And this is the purpose, who he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferance of Christ, so also our, what? Comfort abounds through Christ. So God is with us constantly, even in our trials, and he also comforts us in our trials. He provides the peace and calmness for our troubled souls. Go ahead and flip back to James 1. So as Christians, trials are guaranteed in our lives. They're going to happen to us. But also as Christians, God's presence is guaranteed in our lives as well. So the first thing uh, we see in regards to trials is they're going to happen. Trials are guaranteed. The next thing James tells us about trials is, Trials come in different kinds, all right? Trials come in different kinds. Look at verse two again. James says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, all right. Not all trials are the same, okay? Sometimes we deal with broken lawnmower, broken appliances, bad traffic, bad people in traffic. <laughs> Health issues, financial issues, you know, just emotional employment issues. There are all different kinds of trials that we deal with as believers. Peter said in his epistle, 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, now, though now for a little while, if need to be, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, so there are all types of trials that we deal with as believers. Listen to, just in case we get discouraged on life. Oh, goodness, this happened and that happened. Listen to what Paul went through, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. This to kind of help us with perspective. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger of sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, besides everything else. <laughs> that is crazy. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, that's a variety of trials. And this is something that we experience as believers. We go through many different kinds of trials. But even though our trials differ, even though our trials change, one thing that never changes, that's the character of Jesus. Jesus will always be who he is, even in our changing trials. The character of Jesus does not and will not alter just because our trials do. He will still be loving. He will still be gracious. He will still be kind. He will still be merciful. He will still be patient. He will still be faithful. He will still be compassionate. Jesus does not change with our trials. Our trials do not dictate the character of Jesus. His character is settled for all of eternity. The writer of Hebrews says in uh, Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and when, and forever. He doesn't change. The Lord says in Micah, uh, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I change not. And James later in his epistle in verse 17 of chapter one, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He's always the same. He's going to consistently be who he is. He's not going to allow our variety of trials to change who he is. He is who he is. What are you, sports Dennis Green, after a game? They were who we thought they were. <laughs> he will continually be who he is despite our changing trials, so we can rest assured in his character that he's going to stay loving and compassionate and so on, even though we're going through what we're going through. He doesn't change, even though our trials do. So that's the second thing James tells us about trials. They come in different kinds. Thirdly, trials test our faith. Trials test our faith. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So trials test us. They reveal things about us. They show us where our maturity and commitment level is with the Lord. There are certain things about us we would never know unless we go through trials. There are certain things that only trials can reveal. We may not ever know that we struggle with pride unless we go through trials. We may not ever know how bad our temper is unless we go through (laughs) traffic, (laughs) trials. (laughs) Or we may not ever know how stubborn we are, or how unforgiving we can be, or bitter, or revengeful, or hateful. Trials reveal things about us. Think of ourselves as a tube of spiritual toothpaste. Trials squeeze us in order to bring out what's on the inside. Robert Johnstone says, Affliction lets down a blazing torch into the depths of our own nature, and we see many things we, which we little expected to see. We find our faith weak where we thought it was strong, and our views dim where we thought them to be clear. Trials reveal things about us. And this was one of the purposes of God taking the children of Israel through the wilderness It was to reveal to them what was in their hearts. And Moses, recounting to them the wilderness experience, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know or reveal what was in your heart, whether or not you keep his commands. So the Lord used the wilderness experience to show them what was in their hearts, to reveal their character and what was revealed. Constant complaining, murmuring, all right, a lack of commitment. So the Lord uses difficulties to reveal things about us. Now, he, trials just don't reveal the bad stuff. So you're like, cool, you're just killing us. You're the Debbie downer out there. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. stir the pot a little bit. Um, Trials also reveal the progress that we're making as believers, all right? It reveals good things as well. You remember Abraham, all right, Um, how, you know, prior he fell miserably in his faith and his obedience to the Lord, but later in being tested in one of the greatest tests, I think, just in the Bible, the offering of his son Isaac and was so committed, and his trust in the Lord had grown so much that Hebrews tells us that he believed, if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. And he was close to complete obedience and getting ready to slay his son Isaac. And the Lord told him in Genesis twenty-two twelve, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know, better yet, now you know, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So this particular trial or test revealed to Abraham, not to God, how much progress he made in his trust and obedience to the Lord. So trials, they reveal, you know, good things about us as well. They just don't reveal our shortcomings Back um, years ago when I played at God's University, (laughs) (laughs) University of Florida, the fighting Gators, Um, three out of my four years, the first three years before uh, training camp, before the beginning of the season, we had this ungodly test called the 12-minute run. And what the 12-minute run was, you run for 12 minutes, and you have to reach a certain mileage or goal uh, within the 12 minutes. For us linemen, 300-pound guys, I know some of you run like, oh, that's not that fast. I will eat eat you later. Um, (laughs) Us linemen, we had to run... Uh, a mile and a half in 12 minutes. We don't even run 12 minutes for a duration of the season, and yet <laughs> he wants us to run. Uh, yeah, let me see how in shape you are. <laughs> you get out here running. Um, so it was used to see if we're in shape or not. And so, luckily, my, my senior year we had a more logical strength coach to come in and. Our conditioning test was, uh, I think, was like 20, 100 yards wind springs, which is fine. I was like, that's like cheetah, I can do this. Uh, <laughs> but the whole purpose was just to reveal, it was a test to reveal our physical endurance, to reveal where we are physically. Um, spiritually, God used trials to reveal where we are in our maturity level with Him. Trials. Test our faith. Now, this process of testing, this process that God uses in, uh, to reveal our faith, that process produces perseverance in us. Look at verse 3 again. James says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So, the next thing we learn about trials is trials produce perseverance. Okay, trials produce. Perseverance, and this word for perseverance that James uses is Pastor Carl's favorite Greek word, which is "hoopamoni." All right, Hupamone, which means to stay, abide, or remain under, and it gives the picture of being under a heavy load, but resolving to stay there instead of trying to escape. Being under a heavy load, but resolving to stay there instead of trying to escape is the willingness and ability to endure difficult circumstances with the spiritual staying power that would rather die before giving in. That's hoopamoni. A.J. Gordon, in his book, The Holy Spirit in Missions, says, it was seven years before William Carey baptized his first convert in India. It was seven years before Adoniram Judson won his first disciple in Burma. Robert Morris told seven years before the first Chinaman was brought to Christ. Robert Moffat declared that he had waited seven years to see the, uh, the first evident movement of the Holy Spirit upon the Bikawanas of Africa. Henry Richards. Wrought seven years in the Congo before the first convert was gained there. Hupamoni, persevering under heavy difficulties without giving up or giving in to the pressure. And this is the same word that the writer of Hebrews used when talking about Jesus on the cross. In Hebrews 12:2, he says, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him endured. Same word, hoopamoni. endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. So the same endurance that was working in Jesus on the cross is the same endurance that is being produced in us as we endure trials. God is using trials to make us stronger. God is using trials to make us stronger. Spurgeon says, "...those who are never tried usually possess a poor, tottering faith. But trial, especially persecution, is like the rough March wind which goes howling through the forest. And while the young oaks are almost, almost torn up by the roots at first, it loosens the soil for them." And they send out more rootless till they get such a firm grip that they defy the hurricane. And listen to this last part. That which shakes them at first strengthens them afterwards. God uses the trials and tribulations in our lives to strengthen us, to make us stronger. He strengthens us Through the hardships, we suffer. Trials produce perseverance. And I know one of the things that encourages me, and hopefully it may encourage you, just when going through something tough and hard, just by the reminder of the Holy Spirit, to know that I'm becoming stronger, It it helps me to to have a different attitude when it comes to trial. Knowing that God is strengthening me, um, it helps with going through something tough. And that's what he does with trials. He uses them to produce perseverance in us. James James goes on to say in verse 4, Let, okay, let perseverance, this endurance under heavy pressure, Let that finish its work, meaning stay, surrender, and obedient to the Lord while going through trials, okay? Let perseverance finish its work, stay obedient to the Lord while going through trials, so that, and here's the main reason for trials in our lives, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, God's ultimate purpose for trials in our lives, his desire is our spiritual, our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity. God is wanting to produce Christ's likeness in us, and he uses trials to do it. Paul says in Romans 3, I'm sorry, Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, we also glory in what? Tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and let and perseverance produces character and character hope. So when we go through trials, when we endure trials, God produces a depth within us. He increases our level of spiritual maturity. He grows us in our character. We increase. In Christ's likeness as we go through trials. Think about Moses. Started off self dependent, aggressive, impulsive, takes matters into his own hands, kills an Egyptian, flees to the backside of a desert, spends 40 years on the backside of the desert, God working in his character. And towards the end of his life, scripture says, he was the meekest man on earth. Meekest man on earth. God uses trials to change our character. But his ultimate desire is to conform us into the image of his son. That's what he's getting to. Trials brings them into our lives, the end goal is conformity into the image of Jesus. Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is wanting Christ's likeness. He's wanting us to be changed more and more into the image of his son. And he uses our difficulties, he uses our tough times. He uses our sufferings. He uses our pains. He uses our trials in order to cause us to look more like Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck now, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always caring about in the body The dying of the Lord Jesus, that the, what, life of Jesus also may be revealed or manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies or our mortal flesh. God uses the tough stuff to make us more like Jesus, in a sense, he uses death to make life, suffering to make Christ's likeness. We're being conformed into the image of God's Son. That's not theory, that's reality. And hopefully, that'll help us with how we see trials. We are becoming more and more like Jesus through the things we suffer. God, he's not out to get us. He's not out to crush us and completely defeat us. He wants us more into the image of his son through trials. So trial does that in our lives. Um, It produces uh, Christ-likeness, okay, helps us become more and more like Jesus. We're being conformed into his image through the things we suffer. So how should we respond to this? What should be our response to trials? He tells us in the first part of verse two, consider it pure joy. I'm telling you, (laughs) I'm not holier than thou. This is probably one of, this is probably the toughest Bible verse. It's right up there in All Things give Things, Um, but this this is a tough one, and I struggle with this a lot um, just in preparing. Um, Ask my wife. I'm, like, up in, like, midnight, (laughs) like, looking like a, I was going to say a crackhead. Can I say it anyway? I'm just like, (laughs) 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 sorry. Sorry. I almost made it throughout without <laughs> walking the line, but um, but yeah, this, it was it, it was a tough one because I didn't want to just like gloss over it and just like but like how how is this possible? James is wanting us to see trials as a friend, not as an intruder. As someone who is here to help us, not to hurt us, he's wanting us to have a different perspective on trials. He's really challenging our thought process. And this word consider that he uses means to lead the mind through a reasoning process in order to arrive at a conclusion based off careful thought. Not quit decision. I read it again. It's to the word considered is to lead the mind through a reasoning process in order to arrive at a conclusion based off of careful thought, not quick decision. Our response to trials shouldn't be based off our feelings. Our response to trials shouldn't be based off our own understanding. It should be based off of truth. And the truth is, trials are beneficial for us. They help us. They cause us to grow. They mature us. They produce Christ-likeness in us. And what James is doing, I believe, is he's exhorting us to rise above what's natural and normal And to consider trials as a pure joy because of what they do in our lives. It's a challenging call. It's very challenging. He's not the only writer to challenge us with this principle. Peter says in his epistle, 1 Peter 4.13, what's the first word he says? Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's what? Sufferings. Jesus says something similar, same principle, different wording. He says in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, blessed are you when when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, and during the trial, what's the reaction? What's the response, verse 12? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there is a biblical principle throughout Scripture to respond joyfully when facing trials. I think once we realize that God has a purpose for what we're going through, that He's actually changing us, that He's using trials to make us more like Jesus, that he's for us, that he loves us, I think once we take our mind through this reasoning process to consider, I think that should help us with our perspective on trials. God is not trying to impair us. He's trying to improve us. He's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to develop us. He's not trying to grind us. He's trying to grow us. God takes every believer into his dark room to develop character. And we have to trust that the certain trial that we're going through is a trial we need to go through. God is a father a loving father. And how offensive to him when we think that he's trying to crush us. Jesus said, if you, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more Will your heavenly father give these things if you ask? He's so much more loving than we are. And we love our kids. So he's not trying to crush us and grind us. He wants to make us better. He wants to improve us. He wants to grow us. He wants to change us and use his trials to do it. We as believers do not suffer without purpose. God has a purpose for the pain. A verse we're all familiar with, Romans 8:28, and we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God is working and using our trials for our good. So, to joy in trials, to have joy in trials, I believe, comes from knowing that God's intent is to bring good from the trials. Trials are opportunities for God to work good on our behalf. They're his opportunities to show his goodness on our behalf. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me saying that trials in themselves are joyful that we should walk around happy because we getting killed or again you know just going through it that's not what i'm saying what i'm what i am saying is our attitudes can change our perspective can change the way we view trials can change where's we says Our values determine our valuations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, then we won't count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, then trial will make us bitter, not better. How we view and respond to trials is key. And according to James In other portions of scripture as well, it is possible to consider it joy when going through trials. It is possible to have a deep delight and a joyful resolve when going through difficulties. Scripturally, it's possible. But the question is, how? How is this possible? How does this practically work out in our everyday lives? I'm, on, I'm of the conviction that this is worked out practically through the surrender and obedience to the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say this is because of what Paul says in Galatians 5:22. He says, "The fruit of the spirit is love and then what? joy, then peace patience and so on." The Holy Spirit produces joy because it's His fruit. Joy is of Him, it's His characteristic. He's the one that causes the joy to happen. Our part and our application in regards to our subject of trials. Knowing that it's from the Holy Spirit, knowing that it's his fruit, knowing this is something he produces, live in obedience to him. Fully yield and surrender ourselves both in thought and in action to the Holy Spirit, especially while we're going through trials. And the byproduct is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, All of our lives should be yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. But that yielding and submission shouldn't change when we get to trials. So as we live in obedience to the Holy Spirit, following the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, naturally his fruit will come through our lives. And we will be able to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Let's pray. Lord, this is a difficult call. It's a supernatural call, but it's not a call we have to answer in our own strength. So help us, Lord, to live and surrender to your Holy Spirit. Help us to be fully yielded to your Holy Spirit. Help us to take our thoughts captive and help us, Lord, remind us of this passage, especially during trials. And may we just fully obey and be led by your spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.